Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to day five of the Eurocopa podcast, sponsored by Sling Latino. I'm your host, Nipun Chopra. Thanks again for joining us. Tonight, we'll be previewing groups D, E and F in the European Championships, as well as previewing the very first Copa America game, which is none other than USA versus Colombia. And joining me on tonight's journey are Karthik Krishnayer, Kristen Hanaj, and Robert Hay, who's making his first appearance on the Eurocopa pod. Robert, really quickly, introduce yourself to the listeners of the Eurocopa podcast. Well, first, I'm very thankful for the call-up. Uh, you can see my work usually at World Soccer Talk, writing about a number of different topics. And you can also see my uh, my musings, uh, both crazy and sane, uh, at Robert Hay JR. Um, and I have been a soccer follower since uh, the 2006 World Cup when I fell in love with the beautiful play of Italy and their loathing of goals <laughs> um yeah that was a good world cup to watch especially that final with zidane the head the headbutt is one of the most amazing football moments i think i ever saw that was a good world cup all right gents let's talk about the uh groups d e and f let's start with group d robert we'll start with you actually uh as you're making your debut so the cool thing about group d uh i guess the cool thing is that on paper uh, and by that i mean by fifa rankings it's the most competitive group because all four sides in this group are in the top 30 of FIFA. Uh, Chris, of course, gave us his thoughts on the FIFA rankings, and I think we all agree with them. But uh, I don't agree this is the toughest group. I think we'll come to the t- toughest group next. So let's start with Croatia. Uh, they've never been past the last eight of the Euros. Uh, but for me, a sleeper pick for the semifinals. What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's it, we, we're going to talk about the golden generation of Belgium in a little bit, but in, in a sense, Croatia is going through its own golden ger- generation. And when you look at this roster, it looks uh, like it could if things come together. Uh, there's the talent there for them to make a run in this tournament, especially with the group that they're in. Um, I mean, you have the big names currently on there. You have the Modric, who will be your, you know, Luka Modric, who will be your your key player probably on this squad if he's recovered from a long season. Uh, playing in Spain and he's he's uh, playing up to, to snuff, then I think that he'll be a very uh, important player for this Croatia team. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think the one thing when you look at this roster, um, there's talent there. There's recognizable talent, which is always great for people in the States who might not venture too far outside of the European, major European leagues. But um, there's enough question marks where I think it's this is not a given that this team is going to finish first or second in this group. Um and we can, you know, get into some of the other things, such as the managerial selection and things like that. But this is one of those teams where they could finish third, and I wouldn't be surprised. They can make a run to the semifinals, and I wouldn't be surprised. And I think that makes them worth watching. 
Karthik, that midfield, I love that midfield of Modric and Rakitic. They've come against, come up against each other multiple times in El Clasico. Always breaks my heart to play, watch them play against each other. But I love watching both these players play to the most, uh, to the best midfielders, I think, in Europe. Um, and as, as Robert mentioned, there are some issues with the squad. So outside of that very strong midfield, talk to me about some of these issues that Robert hints at. Yeah, so obviously they have Serna, who's who's a legend, uh, who's still in the team, still the captain. Is uh, he still at Galatasaray? Uh, no, he's at Shakhtar. He's at Shakhtar. Uh, That's what it was. I yeah, Chorluka is. Uh, he's obviously their their um, their mainstay in defense, but they've had. Know, problems at the back. They struggled in qualifying. They fired Kova, Kovacic, uh, who, who, of course, then took over uh, Eintracht and kept them in the Bundesliga uh, near the end of qualifying. They've had all kinds of uh, difficulty, I think, reaching their potential. So outside of that midfield, they've got Obviously, the, the defenders I mentioned, Vida is another player who's uh, kind of a very physical defender. Uh, Perisic is a player that I think a lot of people know who's uh, who, who's quite good in that midfield and, and plays for Inter. Um, and then obviously, you've got Mandzukic up front, right? right a a right. player everyone has seen play at top clubs at, at, at Wolfsburg and at Bayern and, and uh, at Letty and now Juve. But they just never seem to reach the, uh, the sum of their parts. And they're in a very... Uh, they're in a very, very difficult group here, and and uh, I think they're going to have uh, uh, some difficulty, quite frankly. Chris, let's switch to the Czech Republic here. Um, it's a team that's devoid of big names, except, of course, for two big ones who have an Arsenal connection. That's Peter Czech and Thomas Rusicki. Uh, and my concern, Chris, is the defense for this team. This, this is a tough group uh, with Croatia, Spain, and Turkey, and I feel like the Czech Republic will not be able to stop any of those forward lines. Would I be allowed to make one passing comment on Croatia? No. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just what Kartik said about them not being in some of the parts. I, I think one of the real issues for them is they still haven't worked out, or the coach specifically still hasn't worked out, what is the best formation for this team. And it's played out in the fact that they've tried three different formations in their last four games. Mm-hmm. And they've tried the two up top with Manzukic and Kalnick, They've tried 4-2-3-1. They've tried 4-5-1. I just think he needs to really decide what he wants this team to be and pick the best players for that system. And I think they'll have some uh, success off the back of that. I I don't think the same can be said for um, the Czech Republic. For me, their issue is, and I think it's something that even a a passing fan could could know, is that they're far too reliant on Thomas Rizicki. He's, again, someone who has over 100 caps for the Czech Republic. I think when I, I look at previous tournaments, he was kind of the image that burned in my head when you think of the Czech Republic in general. Just that kind of long-haired midfielder who would sit in the number 10 role and dictate things and play things. And, you know, he's got a, a beautiful half volley the other night um, that was floating around the internet. So he clearly still has talent. I, I don't right. think anyone's trying to argue that. The other issue I, I personally have with, with the Czech Republic is the forward line. Hmm. There's not really anyone amongst them that, that's really done it in a top league. Thomas Nessid was at uh, CSK Moscow for a good while. Never really found success, was never really able to, to hold down like the, the starting trusted spot. Went to, I think, uh, Pex Vola in uh, the uh, the Eredivisie. Did quite well there, then kind of bounced around a little bit more. I think it, at the minute he's at Bursa Spore in Turkey. He has a respectable record for the national team. It's not earth-shattering, and and it's things like that that make me believe that this Czech Republic team will 
struggle in this tournament. I, I just don't see enough quality in there when I look at them to think they could cause some some real trouble. And dare I say, even be a dark horse because I just don't think there's enough quality. Yeah, I'll have to agree with that. We're going to keep things moving along, fellas, because we got to get to the U.S. Columbia game. So let's talk about Spain, Robert. Uh, after the nightmare that was the last World Cup, they've actually done fairly well under Del Bosque. Uh, I think they've only lost like one game since then, maybe two. But they've they won a ton of games. They were very good in qualifying. Uh, and I have to say, for me, obviously there's a little bit of bias here, uh, but they have the best goalkeeper in the world. No, not Casillas. Uh, and probably the best central defender in the world in PK. And they also have Ramos, who on his day can be incredible and on another day can be despicable. So talk to me about the Spain team. I, I see some issues there, but at the same time, I think this they will do pretty well as opposed to what happened in the World Cup. I'm surprised that you used the word despicable and it wasn't coming right after Diego Costa. But we'll, leave, <laughs> well there's no – exactly. There's no there Diego Costa, yeah. yeah. This is <laughs> – this is a um... – you know, this is an interesting squad. I think that, um, you know, you have a lot of the mainstays, the, the some of the players that are still there from the, the dominant run that they had. But you're also starting to bring in um, some different players that uh, have ex- excelled at the club level and are now getting their chance to really play, uh, get some minutes with the, the Spain team. And Alcantara with um, Bayern Munich, Bellerin from Arsenal. How well do these players kind of gel with this squad, these mainstay players? that have already been here, the, the famous names. Uh, I think that'll be what's interesting to see about this team. There's no doubt that there's talent. I mean, they're, they're, the roster is is just disgustingly dripping with great names and great players. But can these players gel in the system? Can they do it in time to make a run in the short tournament? And, um, you know, can they push, push back the, the, the disaster that was the last World Cup? I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, and, you know, at least they have a, a, a veteran manager that has been through this and uh, can guide them. So very interesting team. Yeah, Karthik, I actually agree with that. I think Vincent Del Bosque is one of the best managers the game has seen. And he, I still can't believe that Real Madrid fired him after he won the uh, the league in 2003. Uh, that was the start of their <laughs> immediate uh, downfall for, for a little while. Uh, I think we can draw, I would draw a line of causation there. And because of that, Karthik, I'm a little surprised that in some of his uh, selections, no Gabby, who was brilliant at Atletico Madrid this season. And I have to admit, as much as I despise Diego Costa, he probably should be in the Spain squad. Yeah, the other line of causation I would draw with Real Madrid was uh, Makaleli leaving and going to Chelsea. Yeah, that yep, was yep. the other uh, uh, pivotal event. Yeah, I've, I'm especially surprised about the Diego Costa uh, situation. And they're going to have to count on uh, Morata to get goals or, or maybe uh, play again as they did in the Euros in 2012. Remember, won this tournament last time, playing without a recognized striker for much of that tournament. Uh, they they would throw in Fernando Torres late in matches, but uh, and he got a couple goals. So still, he wasn't uh, he wasn't playing as an out out and out stri- he wasn't playing uh, Del Bosque with an out and out striker for much of the much of that tournament. Uh, Pedro, of course, can always play as kind of a, a, a hybrid striker. Nine. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so so can, so can Fabregas for that mm-hmm, matter, right. and, and he has it at times. And Spain so, has a history of that, don't they? Spain has a history of playing the false nine anyway, so that actually makes right. Sense. So you, I mean, and you've still got um, in Iniesta, uh, Silva, Coque, Fabregas. Busquets, uh, Alcantara, and uh, Pedro, just an, an, an enormously experienced and uh, 
incredibly successful midfield. Let, let, let's uh, let's let's not forget some of these guys have won three major tournaments. Right. This is arguably taking the 2014 World Cup out of it. This is arguably the best international side we have seen since Brazil in from 1958 to 1970. And while there is no Xavi anymore, and that is a big part of everything they did, was built around Xavi in the midfield, you still have so many of the pieces of that team that I, I'm actually quite surprised to see Spain kind of uh, written off just based on a, 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 what I think was a bad day at the office uh, in, in a match where Louis van Hall set up uh, Holland brilliantly. Right. Uh, they played on the counter. And, uh, you know, if David Silva finishes that chance and they go up 2-0, we're talking about something completely different. Right. So this or if is Casillas still... makes a couple of – yeah, one of those saves that he should have made. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so – and then everything just kind of collapsed from there. So um, this is the problem with international football is we have small sample sizes and we tend to obsess on – isolated results and isolated data points. Uh, we don't have the, the wealth of data uh, that we do at the club level. So there seems to have been a, a desire, Nipun, to write off Spain as a contender. And I'm not going to do that. I think this is a group which they win going away. I, I don't see much competition for them in this group. And I think, uh, I, I think quite frankly, they, uh, uh, they're one of the favorites to win this tournament. I'll, I have to say that I have to clarify something that you said. Spain is pretty good, but India beat Laos one nothing in the Asian qualifying game today. So, um, you know, let's clarify that India is the best soccer national team in the world. But Chris, let's uh, talk about Spain a little bit more. Do you think they've actually buried this uh, the ghost of the World Cup? Do you think they have a good chance in this? Like, like Karthik and I, I believe. I, th- I think it's very difficult to, to bury any kind of ghost like that because it was such a dramatic fall. Now, the reason it was so dramatic was because they set such high standards themselves. The issue with Spain, and I say issue because I think it's it's really the most pressing one, right. is the the lack of that sort of recognised forward, that that out and out striker, um, in the mould of Diego Costa. Now the problem was is that when Diego Costa played, he didn't score goals. In fact, right. it was one of the biggest talking points was that goal drought, and I think that was perhaps something where his teammates and the system and the coach just didn't set him up to succeed. They didn't want to play the way that he, he did. They didn't want to spin the ball in behind for him to chase and him to run onto. They wanted to play into feet. They wanted these neat interchanges and, and play through the teams. I've never really seen Diego Costa as that kind of forward, personally. And it means now that you're working with someone like Alvaro Morata. I think Nolito could be a good source of goals when you're like trying to, to find that discrepancy right. or, or uh, lessen that lack of goals, if you will. But I think the, the other thing for me is uh, the fact that Gabby isn't in there because we watched this midfielder produce an absolutely sensational performance in the Champions League final. I think it's one of the few takeaways that was unanimous amongst people was he played exceptionally well and arguably did not deserve to lose that final for his performance alone. And yet you've got to think now he's never going to play for Spain because he's well into his 30s, he's got no caps at present and he's just been overlooked for, for a major tournament. So that in itself is a surprise. Even then, though, you look at the squad and say it's an exceptional squad. And, and as Carty rightly says, it'll, it'll be a favorite and a favorite for a very good reason. Robert, let's talk about Turkey, uh, a team that comes into this World Cup probably in the best form of any team. Since the start of 2015, they've only lost once, and that was last month against England. That's a pretty impressive record. Uh, 
but interestingly, the, the, they are they have a similar problem that Spain does. They they don't have much firepower up front. Uh, Yilmaz and Tosun are probably the only recognized strikers. Uh, one of them actually plays in China. So t- talk to me about your thoughts on where you see Turkey finishing up in this group. Yeah, you, you mentioned Yilmaz playing in, in the in China and, and how that's kind of impacted his how people are perceiving him in this team and I think rightly so. Um, you know, some of the things that you hear is could this Turkey team play with a false nine? You know, speaking of of Spain, is there a possibility that they you know try and, and hold you know lean on their midfield, which is kind of the strength of this team right now, uh, with a lot of really good players in there. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see where the goals come from, how they line up, and whether they can continue their form. Uh, I think that there's enough talent on here. You have a Sahin in this team and a couple of others that are recognizable that you know, they could, you know, they could, they could finish second in this group. And um, it wouldn't be t- a terrible surprise, I think. So um, it'll, there are another, I think that what you can say about every team in this group is it's interesting. This is the most interesting group out there in terms of just how these teams line up. Yeah. Turkey will be heavily reliant on uh, Nur Sahin and Arda Turan, I think. You're absolutely I th- right. I think their midfielders in general will, will have yeah. to take a lot of the, the burden on that. Not even just the, the two you mentioned. I think Hakan uh, Chanelohu, the sort of free kick wizard, as he's often deemed on, on YouTube and other such like sites, um, will be important to them. Uh, Cup, who was at Arsenal as a youngster, I think he's a, a shit test now. Um, mm-hmm. And has been talked about as, as potentially coming back to England, in fact. So good has he been. I think that's where you need your midfield to contribute. And perhaps that's maybe something we can discuss another time is the notion that actually maybe midfielders have, have sort of got away with, with having to score goals for a little bit. Now we've started to see them as purely creators rather than uh, people who can contribute in, in both aspects. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's definitely a point worth considering. Uh, we will move ahead, though, Karthik, to the uh, group of death, which I consider the group of yes. death, group E. Uh, let's start with Belgium. Uh, Robert hint, uh, talked about it at the start of the podcast the golden generation of Belgium. I mean, we can roll off, uh, and I've written, you know, if uh, we, we've we've talked about this before, how many players they are that we recognize that are that are quality, that are world beaters on their day. But again, the issue with Belgium still remains: can they put the pieces together? Right, and I think balance is a is a key here because they have they're overloaded. Remember, Belgium is is a small country, right? And like Holland, this is why the total football concept came out of uh, out of the Netherlands. Uh, they are uh, they are loaded in some areas, uh, particularly in in uh, attacking midfield roles and central midfield, yeah. and they're not so uh, so good at the fullback position. So you're going to see in this uh, this tournament the possibility of uh, Aldo Rorel playing uh, as a fullback or, or mm-hmm. Vertonghen playing as a, as a leftback. And uh, they have had so many defensive injuries that uh, obviously Campani comes to mind, but uh, Lombard's uh, uh, Boyata is out as well. Mm-hmm. They've had to call in a number of players that they weren't expecting to call in, including a player we're very familiar with on this side of the Atlantic in Laurent Simon uh, in Major League Soccer, who probably thought his national team career was over when he came over here. It's been very good uh, in MLS, but I don't think he was expecting to be in the Euros. Uh, he didn't play much in qualifying. So uh, he's in the team. Jason Denier, who's a, a player I've seen in preseason with Manchester City, but then has been sent out on loan to Celtic one year, and uh, Galatasaray another. Uh, he might end up starting at center back if they push Vertonghen out to, um, to, to, to left uh, back, which I suspect they'll do. I think the key player... Believe it or not, 
for Belgium, and I think Belgium is one of the favorites to win the tournament. I, I mean, I'm giving you a case, obviously, that they have some weaknesses, but I still think they're one of they're on my short list of teams to win this tournament. Dries Mertens, I think, is the key because he does a job. Uh, as kind of that uh, shield in front of the back four and that side-to-side midfielder that no one else in the team does. Uh, Musa Dembele potentially could do that job, but he pushes forward more. And with the weakness in wide areas that they might have in in kind of midfield wide areas, you might see Dembele pushing a little bit wide, especially if you have a player like uh, Hazard up top or De Bruyne up top in a, in a 4-3-3 or some sort of formation like that. Carrasco is another player that we saw mm-hmm. in the Champions League final that can play uh, out change wide. a game. He changed that yeah, game. Yeah, he can absolutely yeah. change it. Well, they have, they have more game changers than, than any, any other team, team yeah. in this competition. Yeah. Uh, so the, the big question is, Mark Wilmot, is he a good enough manager to get the most out of these players. There's also obviously a lot of characters, a lot of uh, uh, personalities in, in, in this dressing room. There are ethnic divisions in Belgium. We've heard about that for mm-hmm. years. Uh, the guy who always kind of brought the team together is Vincent Company. He is injured. He's not at the tournament. And so with you have personalities like Hazard and Nangolan and Fellaini and Dembele uh, in the dressing room together, uh, is it gonna is it going to work? I tend to think it will. I think Belgium's going to be one of the favorites, but I'm, I'm curious to hear what uh, the rest of our team thinks about Belgium. Chris, you think it's uh, what Kartik raises in terms of having center backs play fullback? You think that's going to hamper them? I, the reason I ask is because we saw that at the World Cup. We saw Argentina would do it. We saw Germany do it. And in their case, both their cases uh, worked to a charm because those were the finalists. Uh, so... Do you think this can this is something that works in in an international competition just two or three games? I th- I think it is dependent on how the rest of the team responds. If you allow your center backs playing fullbacks to be isolated against the winger, I think you open yourself up for trouble personally. Um again, the fact that they're missing some of the defenders they are company, even even Boyata for example, who again has been fairly hit and miss for Celtic. It's still a, a disappointment to see the the options kind of whittle down to, to what they have been with all due respect to those who currently are in the squad. The thing I think you can say about Belgium is that is their only real weakness. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see a wealth of other problems for them. Certainly there was talk of squad issues and such. Like, I think a good portion of them have been removed with Kevin Morales personally. Um, I think Kevin Morales is a very talented player. I also think he can be quite a divisive character. And this group, for the most part, seems to be pulling in the right direction. And someone like Eden Hazard, who, again, I think will will likely dictate things for this team a little bit. The fact that he's come into his own towards the end of that season, it's just a perfect start for momentum for them in terms of the timing of everything. And equally, the improvement of Moussa Dembele at Tottenham. I, I just feel as if there's something about this Belgium team. And we had this debate elsewhere a couple of days ago about whether you can call Belgium a dark horse now because they kind of have announced themselves on, on the global stage and the international stage already. They just haven't won anything. I still think they could go very far in this tournament just because of the wealth of talent they have. And, you know, it's, it's a consequence of uh, players moving and, and sampling different cultures and lifestyles in countries that they've got such an eclectic mix of, of players, both in terms of style and, and approach. And for that reason, I th- think they could do exceptionally well at this tournament yeah politically i I really hope belgium does well because right now with the things that happen in paris that is a country that is uh 
recoiling from the shame of a few individuals. And I think a, a good run in this cup will give them the the lift that they need. Uh, and, and I think that's actually yeah. going to be a motivator for them. I, I, I think that uh, they, they're now representing a nation that representing a nation that's divided and they have an opportunity to do something that's never been done in the history of that nation uh, in athletic competition. So yeah. I, I think they're going to be motivated. And I, and I tend to agree with uh, Chris. I, I've had this conversation with many people. I think Hazard is coming into this tournament in good form. Uh, I think De Bruyne obviously is coming into this tournament in good form. Musa Dembele, in spite of that suspension at the end of the year, coming into the this tournament in good form. Uh, Origi, in spite of that injury, coming into the tournament in good form. So they're attacking players. The guys they really need to to, 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 to uh, stand up to Italy in this group, because Italy's obviously one of the favorites also in the tournament. I think uh, they've got a, a, uh, playing well coming into the tournament. So that's, uh, that's important. And, and uh, form is, uh, uh, with great players, form is everything. We know that. And it's a short tournament. It's a short sample size. And mm-hmm. I, I think Belgium, a lot of Belgium's players are peaking at the right time. Robert, form is an interesting thing. And based on form, you would say that the next team we're going to talk about has made a very surprising omission. Let's talk about Italy. We know they're defensively strong. We know about BBC, which is Barzaglia, Bonici, and, of course, Chiellini, and Darmian. You can throw that in there. I guess it, it can be a BBCD. Uh, but the omission I referring, I'm referring to is one that we've all, we all watch week in, week out in MLS at Giovinco. Given the problems they've had scoring and creating chances, very surprised that Giovinco is not playing this tournament. Well, yes and no. Um, I, I think if you look at the history between the player and the coach, uh, I think it's been pretty clear that they, there hasn't always been the uh, seeing eye to eye or the two haven't always gotten along. Yeah, but don't um, you put that aside as a, well, as a national team manager and, and pick the best team for your country? You could. Uh, but I think as we've seen throughout history, throughout and even listening, you know, talking about some of the other teams that including ones we're going to talk about, sometimes personality makes a huge difference. Could mm-hmm. Giovinco have contributed to this team? Absolutely. Uh, I've, I've been a huge fan of him ever since he was, uh, you know, poking around in Serie B. Um, and he's got some skills that I think could contribute to this team. But I, I was not surprised when he was left off, left off the squad. Um, you know, if he were, if he did make the 23-man, you would still have, I think, a lot of the same issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you mentioned, very strong defense. Uh, the usual suspects here. Um, but, a, a, you know, a transition in the midfield, you've got a lot of players that are out. A lot of the, the players that Conte would have relied on are now were injured uh, playing in the past six months. So th- there's going to be some new players that might ha- have got as much playing time that are now going to be playing. And, um, th- you know, there's a, there's a number of players that were left out besides Giovinco. I mean, you've got a, a Pavoletti for Genoa, uh, who was had a pretty mm-hmm. good form this year. Why would, you know, why wasn't he on and, and others? Um so there's a couple of questionable things, but I think at the end of the day, when you look at it, um, Antonio Conte has proven himself to be a good manager. Um, and at least in my mind, he gets the benefit of the doubt in terms of his selection. Now, I know people might yell at me for that, but when you look at the track record um, and what he's done with the teams and what he's done with some of the players he's brought in, both for club and country, um, I'll defer to him for the moment on his selections. Karthik, uh, I, th- I think Robert yeah, makes ahead, a fantastic point there, to be honest. Because Pavoletti, the, the top-scoring Italian in, in Serie A this season, hasn't made the cut. And and honestly, again, I think perhaps as MLS watchers, we can get caught in this bubble of, of being so shocked that Giovinco hasn't made the squad. Honestly, and, and I've written about this for Yahoo, 
I think Conte looked at Insigne, Lorenzo Insigne of Napoli, and said, I have almost an identical player in Insigne already in the squad. And he's performed in Serie A, which is a league I know, and a league that I understand kind of how to quantify things. And the thought of bringing two players like that, I just think it was a risk he didn't feel like taking. And if, you know, let's go parallel universe and say he drops Insigne for Giovinco, I think that causes a stir in Italy. I think that causes genuine shock. Whereas, honestly, Giovinco... I think for him at this precise moment, it's unfortunate timing in the sense that there isn't really a great deal known about MLS. It's still, and and this is what I wrote, is that it's a very hard league to quantify mm-hmm. relative to European competition. Um, and it's a question we get all the time as as, as journalists and, and bloggers and such. How good is MLS? What is it like? Is it League One? Is it Championship, etc.? Um, so I, I think the fact that, that he's, uh, that Pavoletti, as Robert talks about, hasn't made it to share... Belotti, I think, is another one that could have had a strong shout. So, in that sense, it's not the most impressive squad. And again, you can forge an argument for Giovinco, definitely. Ede has one goal in 2016. Um, I think Immobile's last goal was March. Not ideal, but I see also on the flip side of that why he has left him out. Karthik, players that will be heavily involved uh, and relied upon are El Sharavi and Zaza who right now is the coolest name in the Euro, in the Euro. So talk to me about these two players. Yeah, Zaza is a player that hasn't done much for Italy. And he's a player that there's a lot of potential, uh, but he's he scored once for Italy. I think it's uh, only seven or eight caps. But he scored one goal. That that, that number sticks out to me. Uh, it, I think uh, in Al Sharari, another young player who's just never quite – gotten to the level we expected him to when he was at Milan, came came up through Milan uh, several seasons ago. Yeah, just not the player we thought he would be. You've seen a guy like Graziano Pella, who went to the Dutch League and then moved on to Southampton, worked his way into the uh, into the national team, perhaps as their main goal-scoring threat, because Insigne is, 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 uh, is the star man, but I think he's going to be playing off of uh, another striker. And then Immobile, I don't have much uh, uh, faith in, to be perfectly honest with you. I think Pella, who's a player who never once got capped for the Italian national team when he was playing in Serie A, actually never got capped before even when he was in uh, the Dutch League, because I think there's questions about the standard of the Dutch League, is now perhaps their, their go-to goal scorer. So that's that's a concern for Italy. But I have to tell you, I still think defensively, guys, Italy is going to be one of the best teams in this tournament. And in a tournament where teams are going to have a hard time defending, we've already gone through some of the, the, the perceived favorites and their, their defensive uh, liabilities, particularly Germany. Uh, I think Italy is going to be right there. I mean, they're, they're in, a, in a group with Belgium, who's one of the other favorites. But I, I think they, they've got a shot to go 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0 right through the tournament, believe it or not. Chris, let's talk about the defense of Republic of Ireland. Uh, and by that, I mean... Their, uh, their assistant manager, Roy Keane. Uh, even today and yesterday, his comments keep uh, attracting media attention. And um, it's got to be frustrating for these players. That at some point, they're either turning him off, tuning him out, or are reacting in, in a negative way uh, to Roy's comments where he's basically belitt- belittling his players and he's not even the head coach. So uh, what sort of effect do you see this having on, on that team? I get the feeling that the dynamic with the Republic of Ireland is Roy Keane is forever the bad cop and Martin O'Neill is the good cop. Mm. And for everything that, that Roy says that is quite sort of unsettling and, and derogatory, and you know, I think he said he wanted to kill them um, after the Belarus game, which is you know wonderfully understated from Roy as ever. Um, 
I, I, th- I think, again, the, the issue I have with the Republic of Ireland is it's the centre of defence. Richard Keogh, who, again, is in the second tier. John O'Shea, who, while having 111 caps for this team, is exceptionally old. And it, it almost seems like a theme for, for, for the minnow teams of this tournament, that when we talk about them, we say, that centre of defence is an issue. It's not the quickest or, you know, it's, it's not the best on the turn. I wouldn't like to see those two in a foot race. Um, personally, I, I really do think they could struggle against some of the, the teams in their group. And then you're you're kind of looking for for quality elsewhere because to to be blunt, this team is is definitely industry over creativity or even talent. To be quite blunt about things, and that's my concern for the Republic of Ireland. Is I get the sense they'll they'll be heading home after the group stages. I, I can't see them having a long tournament personally. Robert, the the talent is up front, probably right. They they have a, some different sorts of strikers. They have Walters, who can be that in your face tackling forward, if 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 there's such a thing. Uh, then you have Shane Long, who can who's a poacher, and then you have the intelligence of Robbie Keane, and you have Robbie Brady, who who Chris uh, Chris and I have talked about, who's a very good winger. So there is some quality in this team, but as Chris says, it's definitely not in def- defense. Yeah, agreed. And I think one of the questions that you have with this team, you mentioned Robbie Keane, familiar, of course, to MLS fans is, um, you know, is is there still um, some energy in the, in those legs? You know, is he going to be the one that's going to lead this team or is it going to be Shane Long that's going to be the main goal scorer? I tend to think it's going to be more of Shane Long is going to be the, the fulcrum for this attack uh, if they can get the ball to him. But uh, I, I think if you have Robbie Keane as a second option, uh, an effective second option, then this Ireland team could cause some issues in this group. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. You've got a lot of, and I, I just want to say I want to agree with a lot of what Chris said. You've got a lot of <laughs> blue-collar people, uh, blue-collar players in this team, and uh, I think it'll make it very interesting to watch. And just real quick, I want to touch on the Roy Keane thing. I, I like this good cop-bad cop thing. It takes a lot of pressure off of a, your manager, and it, it gives a different dynamic to the players. So if Ireland advances from this group, I think more teams, more clubs, more teams should look at this dynamic and say, maybe we can recreate this. So There you go. More Roy Keens in the world. That's what we need. Uh, Karthik, let's talk about uh, Sweden. Chris says that he thinks Northern Ireland will uh, – sorry, uh, Republic of Ireland, Ireland will probably finish uh, last in this group. I think it will be Sweden. Um, they're coming into this tournament in uh, poor form. They lost against Turkey, draws against Czech and Slovenia. And both of those were games that they should have lost, by the way. Uh, there's some decent players in this team, but this is really about Ibra and the last uh, Euros for Ibra. And I cannot see them finishing any higher than fourth in this group. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Nipun. I actually think they'll be one of the worst teams in the tournament, uh, in spite of having one of the best players in the world, in Ibra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see an aging squad, a squad that's not balanced, a squad that has uh, is going to potentially rely on, on players like Shim, Kim Schallstrom and Seb Larson, who've been, who are really kind of off the pace now, or a guy like John Gadetti, who who's never really kind of fulfilled uh, his potential. Uh, at the back, they've got some uh, some some decent players. Martin Olson is a player we're all familiar with from watching the Premier League, and Lustig is is I think a, a pretty good uh, uh, 
defensive stopper if, if, if you want to uh, look at them that way. But it just, to me, is a team that is depending on Ibra and is going to need moments of brilliance from Ibra. And, and, and they're going up against Belgium and Italy in this group. So I, I'd be very surprised to see them get anything from either of those two matches. And I just think the work rate of Republic of Ireland, uh, the, the, the way the uh, Republic of Ireland can play uh, directly uh, and, and on the counter with, with a, a player like Shane Long, who Robert mentioned, uh, up top, uh, I think they probably beat Sweden too. Sweden, I, I'm I'm thinking, is one of the few teams in this tournament, along with Romania. Romania is the other team. I think will end up with no points. Uh, I think they're they're one of two teams that are going to probably not even get a draw in this tournament. Chris, really quickly, in a minute or so, tell me why you think uh, Republic of Ireland will finish above Sweden. I'm sorry, will uh, will finish below Sweden? I was going to say that would be very quick. Um, <laughs> I, I think Sweden are motivated by the fact that there's Latans last tournament. Again, I don't think he lets them get away with absolutely anything other than their best. And it's a bit like the Suarez dynamic that we discussed on the, the Copper America <clears throat> podcast. It's that notion of, okay, we have to do this for him. We, we kind of have to pull our weight, otherwise he's going to never forget this. And I think there's a, a pressure of expectation there. And equally, uh, again, I think to, to look at Sweden, they had a, a, a really good... Um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, U21 tournament last year. They were actually outside favourites for, for that, or actually massive underdogs, excuse me, mm-hmm. totally wrong there, massive underdogs for that tournament, and they beat the favourites Portugal to win it. Now, they did it on penalties, but they still did it, and I think the likes of Guidetti will bring that experience on, and, and I think they could do enough to at least finish above the Republic of Ireland, personally. All right, let's switch to Group F, uh, Robert. We'll we'll go through this one kind of quickly because I think we will focus on Portugal. Uh, Austria, only second time they've qualified for this tournament, uh, but I think they'll actually come as high as second in this group. I, I quite like this team, uh, led by uh, Christian Fuchs, who just won the Premier League. Uh, Dragovic is a good defender. Uh, and, of course, we've heard of certain Arnautovic at Stoke City, Alaba at Bayern, Martin Ham- Harnik, and... If they get their forward Mark Janko to score, who who has a has had a really good season, uh, I think they are um, they're, they're pretty golden in this in this group. I agree with you. I think there's a good opportunity for them to finish second in this group. Uh, you've got a good mix of some players that have uh, has spent some time on this team, as well as bringing up some some poten- some uh, good young talent. Um, as you mentioned, good defense, very solid, and I think that'll help a lot with this kind of with this group. And the teams that it's facing. So, um, yeah, this is a team that I think will, if you're a casual watcher of European soccer and maybe coming to the Euros new, you might be surprised to see them. But um, when you look at their roster, I think you'll you'll realize that this is a team that uh, at least is probably has a very good chance of getting out of this group. Karthik Hungary, on the other hand, I think will finish last in this group. Uh, outside the experience of Roland Johas, um, not much really to talk about really here. Yeah, well, this is this is a difficult group. I mean, we, we've called the previous group the group of death, but this is a this this isn't a group of death because the teams in this group we don't think are going to win the tournament. But in Austria and Portugal, you have two very very good teams. Right. Yeah, and Iceland is a good team, which I, I can see as being one of the one of the best third place teams, if not the best third place team in the tournament. So they've they've got three very uh, they have three teams better than them in the group. So I I, I don't want to necessarily make it sound as if Hungary is 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 as poor as I think Sweden or, or Romania is going to be. But they've got some players we know, Zoltan Gera uh, being one. Uh, Nagy is a young talent I've, I've, I've heard a lot about. I haven't seen as much of him as I, I would like. Uh, uh, 
but he's he's a player that uh, I I've been told is is very good. I saw them play. Obviously, we know Namath from his uh, uh, time at Sporting Kansas City. I saw them play against uh, Northern Ireland in both of Northern Ireland's qualifiers against Hungary, and and Hungary seemed a team that was able that was very tenacious, that was very uh, capable of playing on the counter, playing without the ball, uh, and 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 doing some damage. Uh, that having been said, I, I, I just think that this is a this is a bridge too far for them. This group, but uh, they have, um, I think, a feel good factor about them. Hungary, one of the great full footballing nations in the 1950s, right. it all fell apart after the the uh, Puskas, uh, yeah. Soviet tanks uh, right uh, crush uh, moved into Budapest in 1956. Uh, they they were okay in the 1980s. They haven't made a major tournament since 1986, and they've been. If, if you've tracked them, they've gotten better and better and closer and closer in qualifying and now have finally qualified for a major tournament. So I think being here is probably good enough for them. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that the start of total football was from Puskas' Hungarian team, not uh, the Dutch as we usually think it is. Um, Chris, let's talk about Iceland. Uh, for me, th- this is kind of an exciting story again. First time they've qualified for a major tournament uh, coming into this uh this tournament in in some good form. Uh, their four four draw against Switzerland was one of the games of last season. It was terrific, uh, and I have to say that obviously we know about Sigurdsson, but I am so excited to see even a thirty seven year old Ida Gudjonsson uh, at the world stage because he's always been one of my favorite players, and it, it, it's exciting to see him uh, getting to lead his team out. Mm, and he's an exceptionally proud man. Yeah. relative to his country as well. I mean, when he thought he had played his last game for Iceland, he he broke down in the interview afterwards, and it was a very touching moment, even if your Icelandic is rusty. Um, <laughs> I, I think with this team, you you look at Gilfie Sigurdsson and you say, there's the star man. I think everybody, to a, everybody points that out. The concern I have for them going forward is that Corbin Sigdorsson, formerly of, of Ajax, now with Nantes, He's, I would argue, the biggest goal threat they've got in attack um, as a striker, at least, or as a forward. He's had a very injury-interrupted season with Nantes, and that's not the ideal preparation for a tournament like this. I think their midfield works quite well. Um, the, the kind of contrast between Aaron Gunnarsson and Gilfie Sigurdsson works well. It's it's just that forward line, and then also that defence as well. You know, you, you're not seeing really many, if any, players that are are playing in, in top leagues or even, well, playing that regularly. You know, you've got Horda Magnuson there, who's he's with Juventus, but he's, he's certainly not playing in the first team, um, unfortunately. So I'll be very curious to see how Iceland get on here. I, I think, again, they've done tremendously to get this far. It's just important now that we don't patronise them as a nation because sure. I think they've they've got every opportunity to, to cause that kind of shock when you look at some of the, the countries that have come into international tournaments before and caused problems. Uh, Chris just broke... Uh, uh... Our our friend uh, the gaffer Christopher Harris is hard, Swansea man and Cardiff man working together in the midfield. My goodness, <laughs> what's the world coming to? Sigurdsson and Gunnarsson. But I agree with you, Chris. I think actually Iceland is got those two guys are very good and they're gonna they work well together for Iceland. But you know those of us who are kind of uh, who cover uh, English football, it's not supposed to work that way. Cardiff and Swansea. <laughs> All right, Robert. Let's talk about the favorites in this group: Portugal. Um, obviously, Cristiano is the big the big man in this in this entire group in this tournament really uh on the back of one of his best if not his best season which is saying something those are high standards to 
be talking about. But I think it's a bit unfair to say this is a Cristiano-only team because the person I want, player I want to talk to you about is Renato Sanchez. He's 18 years old, or he might have just turned 19, but has already become a crucial part of this team, uh, scored a goal in qualifying. And uh, I think Bayern have done really well to sign him before the competition because I expect his uh, his his transfer fee to have risen at the end of this one. Yeah, I, I, that's why Real is Real, because they are able to get some of these players for obscene amounts of money before they can make even more obscene amounts of money. Um, you know, this is a, I think that this is probably my, when I say favorites, I'd say this is one of the top two teams I think that would, uh, I think are going to win this whole thing. Um, when, you, when you start with a Cristiano Ronaldo, that's motivated in this tournament. To, to as he always is to prove himself, uh, having, especially you know having come off winning another trophy, um, that's a good starting point. But then you mentioned a young Sanchez, like you said, who is seems like he's one of those players who's prime for a breakout. And then you have a lot of of veteran players, Matinho, Carvalho, uh, Nani. You know some of these players who are a little bit older, a little bit more experienced, and may not be um, uh, you know top of the world class, but still are players that contributors they know what these tournaments are like uh and they know how to contribute to a team like this um this team is just all around it, it has some holes no doubt about that but when you look at the roster uh when you look at the setup i mean this is a team that really is built to if things break their way to to win this um just too much talent at the right places and and enough talent to uh to give anybody problems Karthik, the the issue for me for Portugal, which I think will be their undoing, and I I don't see them getting past the quarterfinal stage personally, and the reason is because of their defense. It's a very old defense. Carvalho's thirty eight. Uh, Fonte is probably right now their best defender. He's thirty two. Alves is thirty four. Pepe is thirty three. Uh, and we know what can happen with Pepe on any given day. He can see the red mist and be sent off. It happened in, in the World Cup. So I. I, ha- I have serious reservations about this Portugal defense. What about you? Not really. I think Soares is, is a good young player, a younger player, I should say. Uh, Carvalho is, uh, is older, Pepe is older, but but experience tends to win the day in international tournaments. I also want to point out, and, and uh, this is a shout out to our friend Morgan Green, who will be joining us uh, soon on this show. Uh, Fernando Santos is, is a manager that did great things with Greece, got Greece out of the group stage in, in tough groups in the last two major tournaments, got rewarded by being sacked. But his teams were well organized. He took what Ray Hoggle did, built upon that defense a foundation and had Greece a little more dynamic going forward. He's done something similar with Portugal, which is he's inherited a team that could, that was good going forward. And he solidified them at the back. I think uh, I think they're going to be pretty good. I, I don't think they're going to win the tournament necessarily, but I think they uh, they might they might win the tournament actually. As I think about this, but um, Robert made a pretty strong case. I, I'm not as concerned about their defense. We're talking about experienced defenders, uh, short international tournament. This is the last chance for this generation of players to win something. They had their previous golden generation that got to the finals of the Euros mm-hmm. uh, and lost to Greece. Uh, they had a uh, – uh, and this and this is not quite as golden a generation, but we're now in a, in a more watered-down state. I think, I think they might take this opportunity. I think they're going to be very good. Yeah. Chris, uh, there's a feeling that this team is full of almost stars, isn't it? That's Zao Martino – Will Carvalho, Nani, Karesma, Adair, players that were at one point considered to be the next big thing, but things just didn't pan out for them. Big, big tournament, though. 
Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent way to put it in, in terms of Portugal as a, as a league. And you have the likes of Matinho who you touched on there. Miguel Veloso is another one who yeah, was, was so highly rated. Had a, I remember he had an exceptional game at Old Trafford for Sporting mm-hmm. Lisbon in the Champions League and just never kicked on. And, and this is where I think the, the current generation, the likes of Renato Sanchez, Willem Carvalho, uh, Bernardo Silva, who's not at the tournament, obviously, because he's injured. This is where they have to kind of now prove their doubt is wrong and, and bury the ghost of the last generation in, in some regards. The, the concern with me, and I think it's one that's haunted Portugal for a while now, is that forward line. When you look at who are being deemed forwards, you have Nani Karesma, who I'm a big fan of personally, but I accept that he's, uh, he's not what he once was. Ronaldo and Adair. You only really have Adair, who is, uh, I think, an, a natural striker in that sense. Um, you have Ronaldo, I think, who will sit at the top. But you're having someone like Adair, who, who granted, had a, a strong season with Leo after leaving Swansea. But I'm just not sure if, if the quality is there for it all to harmonise together. I think that's the other issue for Portugal, is if you look at that World Cup, there was just no harmony there. Too, too often... I find Ronaldo is isolated and, and ostracised from the rest of the team on the pitch. Um, and I, I joked once that, that watching him play for Portugal is a bit like um, seeing a, a live reproduction of Kirby enthusiasm because he, he does <laughs> often seem so exasperated at what is a, a, an almost expected talent drop um, relative to, to his club team. Yeah, that's a, gr- that's a great visual. Chris, uh, Cristiano, a bald Cristiano with tufts of white hair just throwing his arms up in the air. That's a great visual. Well done, Chris. All right, guys, let's transition to previewing the USA-Columbia game. Robert, we'll start with you. Uh, first thing I want to ask you is something that's being discussed in the media. In general, there's a consensus that Pulisic will be coming off the bench, want uh, to protect him and also to give uh, to get a sense of how the team works uh, as it is currently. What about you? Where do you stand on whether Pulisic should be starting against Colombia? Well, I think it makes sense to have him come off the bench. Uh, as, as you all discussed in a previous uh, episode, um, you know, it, it, the U.S. has a tendency, U.S. fans have a tendency to churn through the next great hope. And I think that since the expectation has been set that this tournament is not the end-all be-all for Jurgen Klinsmann, there's no real need for him to start right away or to be thrown into the fire right away and, and to see if he'll, uh, you know, how he'll do. So I think coming off the bench and having him as a, as a potential game-changer is a good thing for this team um you know there's no doubt about the talent and i i'm excited to see him in future years but i think if he gets good minutes in this tournament and then uh leading up to the world cup i think that he should take his place potentially as a starter in 2018 or at least as a a, an impact sub but for now coming off the bench is probably where he should be uh should be playing Gartic, this is what i have for a starting 11 guzan in goal yedlin cameron brooks Beisler. Bedoya, Bradley, Jones, and then Zardes, Dempsey, Wood. Would you change anything? We've got Beisler at left back. I do. Uh, in that, in that formation. Okay, so may, maybe Fabian Johnson there. Uh, going forward, you have... Um, I mean, I, I, I think there's a case to be made that you start a little narrower with, uh, with maybe Nagby and Bedoya playing together. And then Bradley in the middle and and Jones, or maybe you play a diamond with those four guys. And then uh, you go up top with, with, with Wood Dempsey or, or, or Wood, uh, well, I guess it'll be Wood Dempsey, right? You, you could make a case that it, 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 it could be uh, Wood and Zardes. But, uh, but um, 
yeah, I think I think that would be the big question mark in, in your your uh, first eleven is Beasler at left back. Mm. Now I think Beasler can probably play left back. As I mentioned the other day, he is possibly the best ball playing central defender in Major League Soccer, and and, and for years he made his partners that were uh, uh, Aurelian Colin comes to mind uh, at Kansas City that were not necessarily good ball players, just kind of destroyers at, at center back, look very good because he could carry the ball out of the back. Uh, he he could make runs as a center back that uh, is now becoming more in vogue in, in world football. So I I could see him playing left back, and again I I tend to uh, to go with the conversation we had, and Chris mentioned this earlier in the show that in in these international tournaments you can get away with playing a, a, a center back at fullback as long as there's some sort of cover so uh, that would probably be Jermaine Jones responsibility maybe if you're playing in a diamond Jones is covering for Beesler on the left side and potentially you're okay but uh that would be the one question mark do you start Beesler left back and start Johnson further forward Chris anything to add to that no I, th- I, <clears throat> I think <clears throat> Excuse me, the two chaps made exceptional points and, and you really can't understate it. The hype train for Christian Pulisic has to stop. He has to be allowed to grow in an organic way. And I think that's the way that you produce players of his calibre is, is to not put that pressure on him needlessly. All right. And then final question, uh, Chris, I'm going to stick with you. Uh, from a Colombia perspective, it's the need to nullify Cuadrado and Rodriguez, James Rodriguez. And how can the U.S. men's national team set up how can Jurgen Klinsmann set up his, this team in order to do that? I think it would be insincere to say how they should set up. They will set up very defensively. They'll they'll set up and and almost I think look to do what Colombia did at, at the World Cup is is quick transitions, um, switching it from back to front through their their fastest outlets. The likes of DeAndre Edlin being a, a great example of that. And I think that's what they'll try and do. They'll try and catch Colombia uh, on the break. And and is that the most eye-pleasing style is it really what American fans expected after the the time he's had with this national team probably not it's what you're going to get though <laughs> I think most American fans just want to win I think that's uh, where we, where they stand this is going to be a tough game and we will say goodbye actually to Chris until Saturday but Karthik Robert and I will be joined by Roberto Rojas for tomorrow's podcast as we review the USA versus Colombia game as well as preview the three games that are being played on Saturday until then, on behalf of myself, Nipun Chopra, Chris Henaj, and Robert Hay, Karthik? Those of us in the United States are really going to enjoy our football with Copa starting tomorrow. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.